0: Hello and welcome to an another edition of the Sitcom Club. Joanna myself, Mooncat, is Ocho. Hello. What are we talking about today?
1: Casanova 73.
0: Controversial. So controversial that we've spoken before about the phenomena of shows being moved to a less competitive slot. But this was not one of those times. This was moved to what you might call a more suitable slot. Because, incredibly, Casanova 73, as we'll relate momentarily, Incredibly, it was a pre-Watershed program to begin with, which is rather surprising, considering some of the stuff that old Ding Dong Doorbell himself, Leslie Phillips, gets up to. Overall impressions first. I actually quite enjoyed it, to be honest. It was what it was, and again, this goes back to what we are talking about before with the squiddles. We binged watched it, we watched the whole thing, seven episodes in one go. Not really meant to be seen like this, but in actual fact, it didn't drag for me the same way that just watching two episodes of The Squirrels back-to-back tracked. Because each episode was varied enough. I suspect that perhaps if it hadn't pushed the boundaries as much as it did, it probably could have come back and probably could have continued because it's one of those scenarios where there's always scope for expansion. It's almost like the opposite of The Squirrels in a way because Squirrels, you've got three or four people in an office and that isn't going to change fundamentally week to week. Whereas in this, of course, Leslie Phillips can go anywhere. Meet anyone new. I think the so-and-so? longer
1: it had gone on, the more he would have lost the audience's sympathy, as you have to find new variations on people he had his wicked way with. And let's face it, they gaze into the abyss, they don't actually cross the line.
0: We've mentioned in previous podcasts about ambiguity when it comes to relations. Whereas in this show there is no ambiguity whatsoever. He's at it. That's it. As he puts himself he is a rumpo man. I think that's a great expression. Why is that not still being used?
1: If you can remember, I'm pretty sure there's a show we did before where we said, this is coming in on the wave of the Confessions films, but in a medium that cannot get away with as much.
0: Oh, was that not as... uh, we didn't actually do a podcast on it, but that sounds like perhaps the Upchat line, Upchat connection.
1: Okay, I don't remember that being mentioned before. But that's what this seems to be. Ah, actually, this is 73. When's the first Confessions film?
0: Uh, The year after. But we do already have sex comedies, though, because they they didn't start with Confessions. So we've already got a few of them on the go by this point anyway. So it is in keeping with the uh, period of time. It's in the wave of loosening morals, but it's in the wrong venue. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's explain what exactly what we're talking about. So this is a sitcom called Casanova 73. It's from 1973. This is Goulton Simpson, principally stars, of course, Leslie Phillips, as the aforementioned Casanova. And we have Jan Holden, who's his wife. They're really the only two characters who are constants throughout. And then we have a succession of leading ladies, and we have other people like his co-workers and so on. The show originally went out at 8 o'clock in the evening. Caused a bit of controversy because there was no ambiguity about what Henry himself was getting up to. Not explicit, not like visually, but in terms of just stating where he's been dipping his work and what have you.
1: When we get to Sex and the Sitcom, we'll talk more about it. We already kind of discussed it on The Squirrels, but just that whole thing that sitcom infidelity both before and after Casanova 73, is almost just a sense of uh, taking a girl out and buying her a few Camparis and sodas and putting your hand on her thigh. And that seems to be it. Let's not say there's anything more happening there. That's enough for his wife to get jealous. Hang on a minute.
0: It's um, only half past seven. What about I Didn't Know You Cared? Remember that episode where herself from EastEnders Sets him up to go off with this woman who's had his eye and what have you. And he leaves her flat and he's, there's no, there's no ambiguity isn't, there, isn't
1: is it? Is Was that there?
0: BBC Two show? No, it was BBC One, wasn't it?
1: Well, it's, it's a bit different, though, simply in its setting in the story it's trying to tell. There's repercussions. Yeah, there's repercussions, but also it's an ensemble cast. Everything about it tells us that this is a more, not necessarily gritty, but this, is not too far removed from the kitchen sink, even though it is a sitcom and it's not really over dramatic. I Didn't Know You Cared is a story. It is not just like, here's your half hour of laughs for the week. There is development. It's just a matter of tone. And Cast Nova 73 sort of tells you that, hey, hey, here's Henry Newhouse. He's our central character. Yeah, okay, it's going to be a little bolder than the mainstream at the time, but...
0: Well, it was seemingly too bold. For its time because it began in an eight o'clock slot on BBC One, and halfway through its run, it was moved to post-Watershed 9.25.
1: Halfway through? It's two episodes, I think. Oh, we well, just yes, yes, you did.
0: You did. He did indeed. The beneficiary of the move was, in fact, Mastermind, the quiz with Magnus Magnuson at the time, which had been going out in a later slot, and then suddenly they needed something to put into that 8 o'clock slot, and that's where it then took off, and that's where it became an established show. The seven episodes of Casanova. Okay, so episode one sets the tone, doesn't it? Because there's not a character study of... Let's say Philip's character is called Henry. It's what
1: we call B-movie piercing. Okay, the titles are over. Bang! Start talking now. No establishment, no development of character. The opening titles have told you who this character is, and now he's going to start doing what he does.
0: Well, you may call it B-movie pacing. Surely we already agreed that it's now called Children's Film Foundation pacing. Same difference. Those, those are essentially B-movies. <laughs> How can you dismiss Egghead's Robot as a B-movie? <laughs> Egghead's Robot wishes it was a B-movie. <laughs> the titles tell us so much. Let's try a comparison with some programs that are going out at the same period of time so let's say man about the house bit saucy bit racy same year 73 and that's just got a nice jolly little title sequence with for three central characters and there's no funny business going on there anything like that
1: i can't remember what order the different man about the house title sequences come in.
0: uh well the first one is is that the one with the blind man yes Elsewhere in seventy three, what else have we got? We would have, for example, I being served started in seventy three. That's a straightforward title sequence. That's already in the store. so The action's already taken place. How best to describe Casanova seventy three? Well, he leaves his house and then starts perving at women as he drives into work. It's clear, even by this well, point. To,
1: to be honest, when we're talking about you know the lack of plausible deniability, it already starts when he's at the petrol station and the way the girl shoves that. Petrol pump into the tank. It's it's quite
0: graphic. Well, yes. When he arrives at the office, I actually given this some thought because when he arrives at the office, it's clear that he's got some sort of compulsion by this point. And he arrives at the office, and his secretary, who would never actually seen the program, and she gives him a couple of pills, and he knocks him back. Now we were wondering about this because you were saying, you know, what kind of bloke needs a like a headache tablet before he's even started work? I've actually just thought about it now. It's not a headache tablet, it's bromide. <laughs> and ideally he should have been taking it before he left the house in the morning because one of these days he's going to have an accident on the road. and There's no doubt about it because he's never bloody well paying any attention to what's in front of him. It's always what's going on at his sides, behind him and everything else. So, I mean, we're not really left in any doubt. My favourite title sequence as far as sitcoms go, and I'm going to ask yourself the same question in second outro, so thinking cap on. My favourite title sequence... Is Yos My Dear from Chesney and Wolf 77 because that title sequence tells you everything that you need to know about the show to the point where you don't even need to bother watching it afterwards. Right, so you start off, there's Arthur Malartin, cheerio to Queenie Watts, he goes off to his job in the building site, so we've established that he's got a really nice, easy gig, just sat there and he's pulling on a rope and what have you at the building site so that's all he does all day Queenie Watts she's there getting her nails done and what have you getting a manicure so that establishes okay fine we know what's going on with them and then Mike Reed turns up as he's no good brother and after Malala is doling out the cash Mike Reed then takes the cash to the benton shop and then comes out of the benton shop and tears up his ticket and throws it away so we know that he's a near do well and there you go Bang! And there's nothing else that you need to know. There's no, you know, I wonder how this is going to develop. It's just, there it is, 30 seconds. (laughs) You've just had a little capsule biography of every character in the show. So what about yourself then? Favourite title sequence? If you can't think of one straight away, I'll nominate one for you. Six Wives of Patrick. That's a classic, isn't it? It is a good
1: one. I don't really have favourites of things. I know people who keep writing out lists of the things they like and putting them in order. I don't really do that. Am I doing it wrong?
0: You know, there's people on Amazon who you get like lists on Amazon where people have said sitcoms of Rowan Atkinson and it's just like Blackadder 1 through the 4 and things like that. And that's been then put up as a public list for you to make your choices from. And then you get other ones. It's like, this is supposedly meant to help me with my shopping. Here's a list of all the films I was into in 1988. Surely that's that person's shopping list.
1: Oh, you go on the IMDb and looking at the information of a film, it's like, oh, this film's on a list. I wonder what that is. And the list is, films I do not yet own on Region 2 DVD.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's always good fun when you see somebody who's given a film one star out of five when you read the review. It's because they didn't realise that it was a Region 1 disc. I'm waiting to see somebody who writes something like, I bought this... And then realised that it would not work on my VHS player because it was a DVD.
1: Well, I have seen a review where somebody went, I bought this not realising it was a book. I thought it was a DVD. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you one title sequence I like. Sykes. Because it tells you nothing. Yes, true. Well, it makes it look like it's a combat trumpeter, Which it isn't. Just going back to the title sequence of Casanova 73. That scene in the petrol station, though, I think is vital. To how the thing plays, that she suggestively sticks the petrol pump in the petrol tank and gives him a look, and this tells us that there is a bit of reciprocation, he's not just a guy who wanders around looking at women thinking, gosh, I wonder what they're like. I mean, I know we see right at the beginning that he's married, but I think that part is essential to, you know, it's telling us, he is Casanova 73, he is not Peeping
0: Tom 73, Okay, quick bit of recasting. Uh, Henry is played by Russell Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's playing it as lonely, basically. Yeah. He has no car, so he's just... He's, just, he's on a bicycle. He, just, <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but hang on a minute. Why is he turning up at the petrol station then? I imagine he we, we wouldn't have the scene at the petrol station because we don't need to see that it's reciprocated. We, it's like, he's looking at women... And that's it, really. That's all we need to know. He doesn't go near the petrol station because the one time you went there, you got chased off.
0: Tales <laughs> to tells us a great deal about the series. And then, we were talking about this while we are watching, that the first couple of episodes are actually not quite atypical, but they sort of get bogged down.
1: Episode one feels like episode three and vice versa. The thing we established aren't they in the wrong order on the DVD?
0: They may well be, but I mean, definitely episode one is the first one that went out. In this one, we don't really see him with anybody else. It pretty much all takes place. No, it's just, the, just house. the
1: fallout from a relationship. And when it says Casanova seventy three, I don't need graphic cuddling, but <laughs> I do at least want to see him with a smashing dolly bird.
0: The one thing that we can establish beyond any doubt from episode one. Henry has the largest bathroom, not just in the UK, but perhaps the whole of Europe. It probably took the whole of Television Centre Studio One for that bathroom. It's like no bathroom I've ever seen.
1: We start the episode, right, he's married, he's randy, blah, blah, blah. That (laughs) That
0: should have been lyrics. He's married, he's randy, what more do you want?
1: (laughs) The first thing to really give us this sign that this is a little bit bolder is he's checking for grey hairs and he, he has to look down his pyjama bottoms to check there.
0: You wouldn't see uh, Teddy Medford doing that, would you?
1: It's interesting that this is Gauntland Simpson. When was the... The Golden Simpson playhouse this what, 77? mm
0: mm-hmm. Because
1: yeah. there's another one there. There's a wife-swapping episode with Richard Briars. It just indicates to me that they definitely thought, well, this, you know, the sexual mores are changing, and we're going to have to acknowledge that and keep up with it. It's time to say what was previously unsayable and being veteran broadcasters sure don't tell if there'd been a little dialogue joke if it'd been you checking for gray hairs yes do you check everywhere yes everywhere i think it would have flown by a bit more this is me putting on the assumption that people would have found that offensive but there must have been something in there that they didn't like for it to be moved i'm thinking that's an example of the kind of thing
0: i think that it was a mistake but so colin he... simpson's own skills are, are working against them it was a mistake when he put out the magnifying glass I chest. Something else he pulled out that... <laughs> 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 Thank God it wasn't Castle of 82, otherwise it could be one of those 3D experiments. But there are certain things which would be left to the imagination or just with a nod and a wink rather than getting out and waving it about. But...
1: Uh, Romney titles lead us to believe that it's going to be him getting out and about. and it, I mean, it ends with him at the office. You would then think that the first shot would be him in his office working. It's all set in and around the house. He does leave the bathroom, we do see other sets and we do get a bit of location work. But there isn't that much... It feels a bit like a bottle episode for a while.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay, you're talking about like pushing back the limitations of what they can and can't do. There is one point at which you start to wonder because he, he's, he's trying to bribed the postman not to deliver the mail and he he sort of shuffles the postman into his garage and there's just there's a slight hint there isn't there there's a slight hint where is he going with this but it doesn't it doesn't actually turn into anything like that but uh, spoiler alert let's face it we're going to talk about every single episode so you know spoilers I'm going to talk specifically at this point about the ending to episode 1 so if you don't want to hear that go forward a couple minutes does the ending of episode 1 does it leave a bad taste in the mouth because some of the newspaper reviews that I was reading after episode one, they were sort of quite harsh. Not just saying, oh, this is broad, crude nonsense, but actually some people saying that it had a sort of a nasty sight to it. I'm
1: going to keep coming back to the problem of Torn. BBC One, 8pm, and the way the opening titles play, the way the theme tune sounds, the way it's lit. If this had been BBC Two, half past nine... Even in 73. I know there wasn't necessarily an alternative comedy scene, but I still think that would have sent out the message, okay, we're going to expect something a little bit different here. The ending is black and unexpected. Gotland Simpson, their career starts before there are really any rules for sitcom. It's one thing to argue who invented the British sitcom as we know it and whether Gotland Simpson did or not. They're definitely there before it gets too codified, too stale. A writer who would come later would play things out differently because they're in the shadow of previous productions. So there's a couple of times where the ending is very unexpected and I think it's because, well, hey, we, we're Golden Simpson. We write the ending that we want to.
0: And we spoke earlier on about, I'll give the example of I didn't know you cared. And as we said, in that instance, there's fallout, of ramifications. There really aren't any ramifications when it comes to anything that Henry gets up to. Even if he gets caught red-handed at the end of an episode, it doesn't develop. It's not that kind of show. There's never going to be any point at which it suddenly turns a little bit more serious and his wife leaves him or anything like that. It's just it's not on the agenda. It's not on the cards. So there is a sense that even though he's always faffing about trying to worm his way out of any particular situation and lying through his teeth to his wife, there's not really going to be any fall out anyway. He's not going to have to pay any kind of penance, because you know, he's just going to get away with it, and then he'll be carrying on next week.
1: Yeah, well, black comedy and fast go together very well. Part of me's wondering what were people so surprised by. If this had been a 90 minute film, again, no real consequences, just a <sighs> ending in midair. I don't think we'd be having this discussion about what went wrong. It's just part of the delivery system and the expectations.
0: Okay, well, episode two, and I'm going by the IMDB list here in terms of what episodes are in what order. We don't have access to the BBC's juicy log of this particular evening, but it would be interesting to have a look. I'm going to put forward a fairy here, which may or may not turn out to be nonsense. But here goes. I think by 1973 you'd expect that the public's tolerance for Henry and his... what am I trying to say? Henry's philandering is what I'm trying to say. You'd think that the public's tolerance for that would be fairly okay. Whereas I do wonder how the depiction of his son in episode two would have gone down. And I've got a funny feeling it might have gone down very badly. Because to have his teenage son depicted as a gambler and a smoker and a drinker and a
1: rambler. What? That's an old country song.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to do the big country. I'm a gambler and a rambler, you know. Just... I thought you were going to do the big country joke there for a minute. But anyway, I do wonder how that would have gone down. At eight o'clock in the evening. Does that get into sort of setting a bad impression territory?
1: This wouldn't have been that big of a deal 10, 15 years later. I'm at a disadvantage now. As much as I'm interested in culture before I was born, and I experience a lot of it, just occasionally I get completely lost. It almost struck me as, well, of course, when he goes to the school, they're all going to be smoking and messing around, because that's what kids in comedies do. Can you think of any similar examples then, circa 73 or before? I mean, you've got St Trinian's. Or is it different when it's schoolgirls?
0: I think that possibly St Trinian's is slightly different because you have the authority figure like Joyce Grenville there, and so on, and In any one of those films, bad behaviour will be seen to have ramifications and so on. I'm going to slightly disagree with you when you said that if if this had been 10 or 15 years later, it would have been alright, and I'm going to put forward... (laughs) Yes, I know what you're going to bring up, but that was an extreme example. Well, not just Hardwick House, but also I'm going to bring up the seemingly ever-present number of complaints about Grange Hill, usually from parents, saying, oh, this... Seen depicted so and so, and this is setting a bad example. Quite often, missing the point that it wasn't as if the, the program was endorsing whatever bad behavior had been featured. And of course, any bad behavior in Grinch Hill definitely would have had a payoff, would have had ramifications for the characters involved. But I just got a funny feeling that because also his, his son is depicted as a bit of a jack a lad, but he's not a, a bad lad. So we're sort of on his side, and again, this is pre-Watershed, and I just think this might have not quite a few parents, might not quite a few people.
1: Put this to one side, next time you watch something where somebody goes to a school in a sitcom pre-73, do you remember? It strikes me as just a stock thing, that you go and visit your son and he pulls out a fancy a drink, how about a cigar? That seems... Okay, now
0: now hang on a second, let's think about this.
1: And then for the father to go, oh, thank you, hang on a minute, what are you doing with these, blah, 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 blah. Uh,
0: Right, okay, I'll give you an example. I'm not familiar enough with the TV series to cite anything from it, but I can't think of any instances of anything like smoking or drinking or anything like that in the film version of Pleaser, which is from 71 plenty of bad behaviour going on, plenty of roadiness and that's what have you.
1: always set in school, though. I'm thinking just the stock situation. Right, right, just for this one show, our lead character is going to visit a school or going to visit his son uh, spe- specifically as well. That's where he's going, oh, fancy a drink, old ma'am. Well, enough of it springing to mind, but... So Henry seduces the teacher. I think, I think that's the point where it's like, you know, every time he's going to see a young woman in this, by the end of the episode... He's going to do his best and possibly succeed.
0: And also, we don't see this, but it's described, this idea about them both being naked on the bed, which is the wording that's used as well. So again, no ambiguity. You're absolutely right. If this was a half past nine BBC Two, it wouldn't be an issue. But thinking about the kind of shows that would have been going out at eight o'clock in the evening, around about 72, 73. I mean, think about something like, totally different type of show, but something like whatever happened to like a lads for example that would deal with terry chasing the ladies and what have you but there's a brick wall at a certain point where it just doesn't go beyond and if it needs to go beyond that then it's implied yeah, what's
1: the episode where bob talks about losing his virginity but it's still just well she was the first yeah so the week before ronald fraser in born every minute that was 8 p.m on a thursday night Mind you, the show before that was called The Virgin Ian. Oh Oh, no, that's the Virginian, sorry. <laughs> and you can see the original of that joke in the British Museum. <laughs> until October seventh.
0: Now, okay, why or oh why, if not in Casanova seventy three than anywhere else, because I'm not aware of this ever happening at any point, why was there never any situation of Ronald Fraser playing Leslie Phillips' brother in something? Cause he should have done,
1: shouldn't he? Bill Shine. Bill Shine. Bill Shine should have played Leslie Phillips' elder brother in something. Somewhere I have a Daily Sketch advert with Bill Shine in it and you'll think, that looks a little bit like Leslie Phillips and sounds a little bit like him. Just trust me on this.
0: Look, okay, right. If Egghead can be mistaken for his robot and vice versa, could Leslie Phillips not have said to his brother, being played by Ronald Fraser, look, I want you to take my place in the restaurant tonight and chat up Maureen Lipman or whoever? right? and
1: and Uh, Episode 3 is great. Episode 3 should have been episode 1. It should have been episode 1 or episode 7. The way it starts out and develops is very, yeah, let's get it all set up. Here's episode 1. And the way it ends almost feels like, right, this is his Waterloo. But episode 3 is fantastic because it's what you want from a show called Casanova 73. We see the girl. It's like, oh no, I'm in a situation that I shouldn't be. It's farcical. He's actually there at the time. It's not a matter of just like preventing letters being read.
0: And again, there's not really any ambiguity about the ending, is there? No. Do you
1: want to break the plot down? We've got the nosy neighbour. I thought, why have they got Josephine Chusin? Because it's clearly supposed to be a much older woman.
0: Related to us, Henry has been at this event where he's been, you know, with a lady who was a fire eater at this event. She's played by Maureen Lippman, Lipman. And then Josephine Chusin turns up as a nosy neighbour. She's making all these inquiries and so on. Later on, Leslie Phillips is there with Maureen the the restaurant and shows been choosing and so on so he has to sort of go off and say to herself oh don't tell the wife that I'm a dirty bastard and what have you. She says okay but now you've got to do something for me and he has to you know with herself. Like, it just sounds like I was just peddling bullshit there but then that is actually everything that happens. And the
1: reason it's Josephine Houston is that she has to come out in a peignoir and a nightie. She doesn't come out in the really revealing sexy underwear. But I'm guessing that in in 1973, people were not ready to see John Sanderson.
0: I stick to my original point. It should have been Rita Webb. Although she wouldn't have waited for him to be in that compromising position. She would have just jumped him as soon as he opened the door.
1: So that whole episode has a nice structure and he has to do something ridiculous to get out of the restaurant. Maureen Littman, very funny. But the ending has that weird, this is as far as he can go thing we've got a. An episode of Casanova 73 where right at the end we get the sense that Henry is sick of sex. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He's done it as much as he
0: can with Mrs. Kershaw. Right, okay, hang on. Wasn't there one point at which we suggested that he might have done it with a mangle? Or oh, Mrs. Mangle from
1: <laughs> Neighbours. <laughs> isn't,
0: there, isn't there an episode where there's a mangle in the shot and we just thought well, for one fleeting moment that he might have just looked at it longingly and thought, can I get away with this?
1: It's Casanova 73, it's not The Monster.
0: <laughs> this
1: is why it didn't run for more than one series, I think, because by the end of series two. No, serious question, serious question, right, G- give me a arbitrary number. Under 39, let's say, but give me an arbitrary number. Okay,
0: uh, um, 26.
1: Okay, so let's pretend that Casanova 73 ran for 26 episodes. Do you think by the end of those twenty six episodes he would have gone the other way for a bit?
0: He said he would have considered it, possibly. I mean we've all read the keeping up appearances fan fiction. <laughs> did you actually read any of that? Well, not, or did you just hear I, a description? I, no, I did no I did. I did I did click on it and I read parts of it. But <laughs> it was very well written, I have to say. The hell am I talking about? This wouldn't have happened. It's a four, and perhaps if there had been a series eight, this could have featured in it. So, episode four. I quite liked episode four. Quite a bit of energy about it. And it actually, is it the only episode where it ends up with him getting some sort of punishment?
1: Yeah, well, this is another thing, though. I don't think, had it been a later writer doing this, you would have had the same ending. It would have all blown over, or it would have ended like the squirrels, with people just running around going, oh, no. <laughs> But somebody actually losing their temper, making a public display, and something that's like, well,
0: this is going to have to be a proper explanation of all this. I did take issue with the plot of this. Because isn't it Miss Dairy Product for the West Midlands or something like that? And we're supposed to believe that this has got coverage on BBC One in peak time, live. I forgot that bit. Yeah, because he's watching it on TV. So. I know that we've often found... in, in Seriously,
1: crit- how, hang on a minute. How the hell did Henry not then make the papers, given the way that ending goes? Sorry, it's a terrible tease to talk about the ending before we get there, but let's go through it a bit by... bit. So it's televised. Well, apparently so. I don't, I don't remember seeing any cameras.
0: No, 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 but, no, but his wife is watching it at home, remember? In, Maybe and, she just <laughs> thinks she is. No, but she's just watching it as it's going out. There must be something wrong with me just
1: occasionally. I was like, when I watch stuff with my wife, just occasionally, a really major plot point. My brain is just off and then turned back on and I've missed it. And the whole thing might hinge on hearing one line and I just completely, I just start thinking about what's for dinner. I'll just see something on the set of a television program. I'll just start thinking about something with nothing else to do with anything and I'll miss stuff. And I missed that. I missed the fact that this was being televised. I was thinking about chicken avocado burritos. That's why. Oh, delicious. And there have been times when I've been so acute. There was a time when I once solved the crime on an episode of Monk before the opening titles. (laughs) I was really annoyed because I'm not one of those people who likes to guess how it's done. I like to find out when the writer wants to tell me. And I worked out how it was done before
0: Monk even came on. Yeah, but what you failed to relate there is that you were watching the episode for a second time on the Plus One channel, having just seen it on <laughs> ITV. Now, we're familiar enough with like the radio and TV times of the 1970s to know that there are a surprisingly high number of beauty contests on in the 1970s. It's not just Miss World and Miss UK. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's bloody loads of these things. But I still don't think that Miss Dairy Queen, I don't think that that would have got peak time live. Wait. Is it going on on the BBC? I don't know that's ever actually stated. But oh, BBC, the BBC did regional, transmit...
1: Regional opt-outs are a weird little thing. Well, so yeah. If, that, it's on the, it's, if it's
0: on ITV, Thames only, Miss Dairy Produce. No, but the thing is that BBC did have those regional slots. You know, like the ten fifteen on a Friday. And uh, yeah, it doesn't you?
1: seem very BBC to use your regional slot for a beauty contest. Seems more like a an ITV thing.
0: BBC was the principal broadcaster of Miss Wald. Mr. CSW. That's really what I'm thinking. Um, actually, Miss Wall didn't transfer to ITV until, I think it was, was it 79? So that's the thing, the ITV have got, it's like, what what can we get? What, what can we fight with?
1: Hey, hey guys, Miss Dairy Produce is happening somewhere.
0: <laughs> Strangely enough, we've got quite a few sitcom stalwarts in this particular episode because we've got Hugh Paddock, first time.
1: Right, I have a problem with Hugh Paddock.
0: Now, would well, you mean in this episode know. or in general?
1: <laughs> just in this episode, just in this episode. Right. Because when we first see him, he's all... Camp. He's. Which one was he, Julian or Sandy? He was Julian. So he's just playing Julian. And later on, we see him when he's being in his compare role and he's dead Butch. I think it would have just been much better to start. Right. We're watching the rehearsal. So he's there going, Oh, some very lovely ladies. And oh, aren't you a lovely little. Th- oh, I don't know how they did. Th- <laughs> I don't know how they <laughs> talked. <laughs> talked to the contestants. I know Michael aspel was quite mocking. And Bob Hope was just. Didn't he compare them all to cattle in that infamous one that was disrupted?
0: Not that I recall, but yeah, he's basically been sleazy. Yeah. It he.
1: would have just been great, right? First time we see Hugh Paddock, he's going, well, we've got lots of lovely leggy ladies here. And uh, oh, sorry, I blew it, love. Can we do that again? You know, just. Yes, yeah. Wasted opportunity there. Yeah,
0: that would have been nice, yeah. But uh, aside from Hugh Paddock, we've got Tommy Godfrey, got Michael Knowles. The point is that. He's basically made this arrangement with Miss Germany and uh, they're going to, you know, night before and then he's going to give her the nod on the night. Doesn't need to explain precisely what happens at the end.
1: But that plan only works if he's the sole judge or has a casting vote or has some power. He's one of four people. All he can really say is, give Henry what Henry wants and I will at least make you number one on my list but he can't guarantee her the contest.
0: It's not a great plan. (laughs) It's not a great plan, and it backfires. I guess it has to be televised, because let's face it, he's not going to go home and confess all to his missus. Although it would have been interesting to hear him try and explain away the black eye.
1: Really, the wrong scene, I think, gets extended. The scene that rambles on is Miss Germany, for some reason, decides that he wants to see her whole talent contest routine. And then all the ju- when they get the judges together, they all agree it's the bird that they've been fooling around with, at a party the night before.
0: Presumably that was the same party that was going on. And, and, and in- I'm,
1: I'm just saying they're fooling around with. I'm I'm not sure. <gasps> no, it's, I think <laughs> their activities were a bit more of the standard sitcom philanderer variety. I don't think there was any implication one after the other or all at once. <laughs> It was well, a- yeah, they, I mean, there's your reaction. Putting that picture in the viewers' minds, <laughs> even now we've moved to 9.25.
0: It was a party in Rex's room in the Squirrels. That's where it all went down. So
1: what I assumed was going to happen was they'd each promised a different girl, and that was going to develop into a big argument. I think that's the scene that should have gone on a bit longer, as they all get incredibly mealy-mouthed about why their list is the way it is. And really, you could have had these... Four English judges all adopting positions where they're trumpeting the nationality so that Henry actually kind of becomes German for a while. It's not sophisticated, but I think it would have been more fun than seeing a German girl playing the accordion badly or whatever what she did.
0: If this episode had been one of the earlier ones, I don't know that there would have been all the hoo-ha about it because this one is fairly... Okay, there's still the implication that he's done it with Miss Germany, but still it's not quite as in your face as some of the episodes.
1: And it would have been better to have it come earlier in the run because we then just get, you know, one beauty contest after another, and with it not being the same one, we don't quite get the virtue of continuity.
0: Now well here's the funny thing, because where I'm saying here that if episode four had gone out earlier on the run it might not have been so controversial. I think if episode five had gone out early in on, one, it definitely would have been because the conversation at the beginning of episode five is that he has fathered a child with the winner of this beauty contest.
1: <laughs> is that just the implication or is it?
0: I, th- I think it's pretty much cut and dried uh, is, as far as I understand it from what they're saying. <laughs> uh, the thing is that he's mildly concerned about it, but he doesn't seem all that bothered about it. So that then gets me thinking just how many different offspring has he got? screaming jay hawk in 73 well, i'm surprised they didn't bring it back in sort of 97 called something like casanova's babies or something like that where <laughs> he he has to track down all of his different children well, like muppet babies no no i mean like like rockcliffe's babies right okay. he has to basically track down all of his children on all the four corners of the world and what have you there's some stupid reason why he has to track them all down or something like that but yeah i mean why why ever not you need to start writing fan fiction for that.
1: So you think that the thing that would have pushed the audience away from this episode, had it come first, is that he's fathered a child by yeah, and, and Miss he's, Olumba, who's yeah. entering the Miss World contest. But there's also the fact that he is cheating with the wife of one of his co-workers.
0: Yeah, this is true. If you're not already thinking this, and you're thinking, he really does have some sort of compulsion. This episode, it sort of went on a bit, didn't it?
1: Well, for a start, we're thinking, oh, it's obviously going to be about the fallout from the Miss World situation. He's entertaining these two businessmen from the fictional country of a And then that's over and done with. Oh, it's going to be about his co-worker's wife. And too early we find out that the co-worker has put a bug in the flat because he knows that somebody somewhere is having a fling with his wife. And that's it, really. It's just getting to the flat and finding the recording device.
0: The thing is that he never actually found the recorder. And even when re- it's revealed later on, his workmate had the recorder, we don't even find out where it was. Which is, which is slightly annoying, because he's, he's he's turned the place upside down looking for it. And actually, this episode doesn't paint I Henry... Do
1: like, in the- I do like the solution the, Well, it's it's not just the solution at the end that it turns out when the guy plays the recording to Henry and Henry thinks it's an accusation. It's not. There was another guy. But I do like the, the fact that you think there's going to be an acceptable break with the reality, because it's a sitcom, but rather... Well, tape's only last half an hour. Henry's thought there's just been weeks and weeks with <laughs> recording it'll have captured everything. That was okay, but the pacing was just off. It's it's the middle of the series.
0: Episode 6. Oh! Episode 6! Remember, <laughs> ah, I guess if things, it it, things had gone according to plan, Episode 6 would have gone out at 8 o'clock in the evening.
1: This should have been the last episode. Because we do find out what Henry won't do. But the sed- suggestion
0: is still... <laughs> well, it's not so much he, what he won't do. He yumbed an eye about it, but eventually he attempted it.
1: Yeah, but he's blackmailed into it. And then he can't. It's not just a matter of want, he can't.
0: So how much detail do we want to go into with regard to this plot?
1: Actually, what am I saying? Because very early on, we, <laughs> we lose sympathy. He is visited by his goddaughter and her fiancé just before the wedding she is singing a song, she's singing I Could Have Danced All Night and Henry's supposed to be listening to the song and she's, we see his internal the workings of his mind we see his mind's eye and is imagining his goddaughter okay she's 23 another goddaughter might put into your mind somebody much younger but okay, but still somebody he's known since she was a baby and he's there imagining her in her underwear and when that's enough, imagining her in sexier underwear than she probably is wearing
0: and what's more, imagining her on 16mm film.
1: Yeah, good job he doesn't have an 8mm imagination, that'd be. <laughs> Plain brown rapper stuff. <laughs> For all the later arming and aring and moral quandary, because what it turns out is his goddaughter is worried about the first night, the honeymoon night, and she wants to be taught how... <sighs> This would have been a grim little fantasy for some guys, wouldn't it?
0: Can I just uh, reiterate, by the way, 8pm intended for straight after Top of the Pops first evening. Yes, I suppose it would have. I can't really see this plot taking place in any sitcom in the last 30 years. If this doesn't to be the plot of any episode of any current BBC 1 sitcom in 2014, then, I mean, the number of resignations that would emanate from it would be Unbelievable!
1: It's partially down to his goddaughter being played by Madeline Smith. That tells us that somebody somewhere in the setup of this thing has decided to make it a bit of a fantasy scenario rather than something just awkward. Somebody somewhere is not getting the benefit of my doubt there.
0: Okay, we should point out that at no point in this episode does it ever actually become blasé. It's an issue for him right from the beginning.
1: If they hadn't had him mentally undressing her then it's like well that's fine it's a farce he's incredibly uncomfortable he's being confronted with what it is like to be a dirty old goose but we've already established that on some level he's lusting after her
0: yeah this is true but i suppose in his mind he's thinking well there's a hell of a difference between what was going through his mind and now what's actually being proposed and of course he does have that conversation with his wife for Madeline Smith visits him in the office. His wife is accusing him of doing exactly that. And he's getting also sort of defensive about it. But even then he's suggesting that uh, he's not entirely comfortable with the, the idea. I just want to raise one point about terms and conditions of employment. When Madeline Smith comes to visit him in the office, he initially thinks, oh, I've got a good idea. I'll get one of the chaps from the office to fulfil my role. Would that have been anybody's job description, even in the 1970s? If the boss's goddaughter wants to... I don't
1: think he was going to pull rank in terms of the organisation. I think he just thought, as soon as he lays eyes on my goddaughter, he will be interested and maybe I can avoid this rather French situation.
0: I was rather hoping he was going to say, listen here, Cuthbert, I know this is uh, slightly different from your normal workload, <laughs> before you know it, it's turning into a Python sketch. I mean, well... <sighs> Here's
1: the keys to the stationary cupboard.
0: <laughs> it's an awkward episode, and of course, he doesn't.
1: So it would have been interesting for this to be the last one, to so say, right, look, here is the moral event horizon, Henry, and you can't cross it, so we've found your limit, Henry. The end. Oh, and shall we tell everybody the ending?
0: Yeah, i go on then, yeah.
1: He doesn't, but it turns out that his wife gave instruction to the bridegroom.
0: Thing is, though, I'll give you a reason why this should not be in the last episode. Because the reason that he can't, you know, with Madeline Smith is that his equipment lets him down. Isn't it? No one.
1: Oh, you, so you think that that ties in with the beginning of episode seven? Exactly,
0: because that's how he is at the beginning of the last episode. The episode
1: series. seven feels like a pilot. Well, there is a pilot for this called The Shirt, which was part of an earlier Golden and Simpson thing that I think was done for, ooh, London Weekend, maybe? Circa 68, 69? I might even be Rediffusion. But there is a one off playlist with Leslie Phillips called The Shirt, which kind of acts as a. Backdoor pilot, Forecast Nova 73. Because this is just... He's hiding in the wardrobe. The stockiest of stock situations that ever stocked. I'm having a fair... Oh, her husband came home early. I'll hide in the wardrobe. I can't remember what episode it is. I just want to mention one thing. There is something where he's in bed and he puts his under... We see him reaching under the cover and putting his underpants on. Whereas I think Robin Asquith didn't he already have his underpants on? <laughs> when he'd leap out the window because... The- I've seen this being made fun of many times, this idea that they just leap out of the bed with their underpants already on.
0: Well, there is one scene which involves Robin Asquith, Bill Pertwee, and a javelin. That's all I'm going to say in the matter. Okay. And he has got his pants on. I mean, Robin Asquith. And also Bill Pertwee's got his pants on. I don't
1: really know where I speak, do I? I'm talking about a cliché that I don't have any smoking gun of an example of. So I'm thinking that they're avoiding a cliché. But every other cliche is in there. He goes and hides in the wardrobe. Always kind of look in the wardrobe. Or well, I have to hide here. Or I have to hide there. This episode went on a bit, didn't it? I'm done. I'm finished. I don't want to talk about wardrobes and hiding in chests. Let's talk about something else or go home. There, I've turned on my fan. On okay, mic. No, we did, so we... that's the indication it's over because I've got the fan whirring in the background. I'm not speaking anymore. I'm not saying that Casanova seventeen Well, let me turn it off
0: right it's
1: not a bad show, and some of it's now, quite surprising.
0: We've got a plot holes. Enough the plot hole. Seven. No, there is there was a big, there was a huge one. There it's the size a plot, of, frankly, of, of size of the fridge. No, not size but, of the bathroom, though. No, that would be. No, no, obviously not. Does he have but, a rowing no, I mean, machine I mean, in, in his bathroom? I think he had a full scale gym in there, and probably had a communications room in there as well. Okay, right, that episode seven where he's hiding in the, the wardrobe, he's hiding there all weekend. Yes. Right? I mean, the implication being what that guy who comes in, the husband that comes in, never goes to sleep at any point in that weekend because he wants to read the dandy or whatever the hell it is he's got. But it he mu- he must have been at some point a window of opportunity, surely. There
1: is one bit where he seems to get out. He he runs out of the bedroom door and then comes back in through the bathroom. That's like, right, yes. Out.
0: Yes, that's right. How, he, how yeah. did he fail
1: to escape? That was a poor episode. In general... It's got its problems. It's wildly uneven, but just occasionally you do realise, yeah, we're still in the hands of Golden Simpson. But I wouldn't say it was a success.
0: No. I mean, ultimately, it's not a show that's particularly well remembered, and obviously, you know, the business with it being pushed to a later slot doesn't help it and so on. But I didn't think it was all that bad. I mean, the thing is that the situation, like we're going back to this Bat's this business, the setting and what have you. Overall, the setting and the people involved and so on I found quite endearing.
1: When exactly did Leslie Phillips become the mustachioed Rue? In the 60s, he was fresh-faced and he was just a juvenile lead. But at what point does he become the kind of
0: four-merchant? Possibly it's in the later Doctor films. Right. Definitely by Doctor in Trouble, 70. He's He's pretty much identical to Henry. So I suspect, yeah, it's probably going to be something that sort of crept along late 60s and what have you. Okay, would you recommend that people either purchase or rent Casanova 70s?
1: Really only if they're interested in 70s culture.
0: Or if you're a devotee of Lissy Phillips.
1: Interested in that weird little point when people thought wife swapping was the future.
0: It is available on Acorn Media. came out a couple of years ago, Region 2. The DVD actually includes an interview with Lissy Phillips. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us at the email address, which is feedback at sitcomclub.com. If you don't like the emails, you can instead get in touch with us via what the BBC very quaintly calls social media. But we don't have to be circumspect here. So we can say Facebook, The Sitcom Club, or on Twitter, at The Sitcom Club. And if you visit sitcomclub.com, as the internet people say, you'll find links on there to all the previous episodes going all the way back to March of last year. It's a bit forty odd in the archive, all told. And so on behalf of our show, this is Heho Mukanko, saying thank you very much indeed for listening to the Sikong Club.